Welcome to Inside Yorkshire with Susan, bringing you intriguing details about the lives of people here in Yorkshire. So, come on in and join us. Hello, Susan here, Inside Yorkshire. Today, I'm talking to Leona Deacon, who is a registered psychologist, and we're talking about her debut book that has just been published. Um, It's a crime thriller with the detective, who is also a psychologist, um, Dr. Augusta Bloom. And um, it's a very interesting story, I know, having read it. I'm very conscious that uh, I don't want to give the details away because... um, you need to read it so that you can find out what happens yourself. In the first instance, though, I'd like to talk to you, Leona, about um, what got you started with all of this, what your background is. Okay. Hi. Hello, Susan. Hello, everybody. Um, so my background as a psychologist, I am qualified as a occupational psychologist. So that is everything to do with people in the workplace. And my first job was with West Yorkshire Police. And that was uh, working in a team responsible for recruiting and selecting police officers. So we recruited new officers in and we also designed the selections and assessment tools to promote police officers up to the rank of chief superintendent. So I got to learn a lot about the world of the police um, and the types of individuals that work there, the sorts of things that they work on. Um, so, And actually the, the tools that are used to recruit and promote police officers are like little stories they're little role plays so if you want to recruit in a new officer you present them with five or six rooms and in those rooms are different individuals that they are going to meet and we assess how they deal with those individuals and that might be a a sort of perpetrator of a crime or a victim of a crime and so they were little stories that we had to research and write and then use to assess an individual's skills for managing difficult situations so I suppose my first professional job as a psychologist was story writing. (laughs) Right and I think we were talking about it earlier on there saying it must be quite a difficult thing to do to get the balance of um, the psychology behind someone who is going to be able to manage as a police officer or someone in the police force and have them strong enough, but also um, the background, what sort of things you assess on when you're assessing in the police force. Yeah, it's quite interesting. One of the difficult things that we had to get right was we wanted people who clearly wanted to be a police officer but wanted to be a police officer for the right reasons. So there's quite a few people that apply to be a police officer because they are quite attracted by the power, but that's not what you want as a police officer. You don't want someone who's going to be sort of status conscious in a situation that might be quite sort of aggressive or conflict-based. You want someone who can calm things down, mediate, communicate well, be quite patient and tolerant of others, be quite empathetic. So it's almost like the perception of a police officer is this sort of tough, maybe macho individual who takes control is not really what you need no. when when you are recruiting somebody. You mm. obviously give them those skills later for managing those situations and taking control, but you don't want them motivated 
by that. So that was quite an interesting sort of dilemma. Interesting balance, really, that, yes. And um, so did you find then the background, obviously the story writing, having to come up with those scenarios would be very helpful as a practice. Yes. But also um, your background in creating the characters that you've that you've used in the book um was that was any of that drawn on you and your background absolutely i mean my job so since working for the police i then worked as a a consultant for bigger consultancies and then ultimately freelance into lots of different organizations um to support them with everything from selection to leadership development and um, it's quite a privilege, really, because not only do you get to see inside lots of other organisations, you get to meet a massive diversity of people and you get to talk to them as a psychologist in a way that's fundamentally working out what makes them tick, what motivates them, what stresses them, what what they need to do differently or better. Or So I have this, I suppose, this really privileged career where I get to meet lots and lots of interesting characters Um, and so undoubtedly that inspires the characters in my book I mean clearly I haven't written about an individual but Mm. certainly there are certain characters that I think oh it's a little bit of that person with a little bit of that person put in as well and so there's definitely inspiration that comes mm, from my working life as a psychologist yeah a lot of material there I'm sure yeah yeah huge amount yes yes and uh I just wonder, I mean, as a as a psychologist, do you, this is not to do with the book, but I wonder, do people expect that you're going to analyse them when you meet them? Yeah, I think they do. And I think I got that a little bit more when I was younger um, with sort of friends or in social situations where people would say, oh, can you tell what I'm thinking or what sort of person <laughs> am I? Um, but as I've grown older, I think the world has become a little bit more sophisticated in terms of its insights into psychology. A, a lot of people now have read psychological texts and um, have done courses on it. So the people I come across tend to be quite well informed. I think in terms of understanding an individual, the thing you learn as a psychologist is that it's incredibly difficult to find out what makes someone tick because our behaviour is not just about character, it's also about our circumstances and our learning and our beliefs. So you can watch someone behave a certain way, make an assumption about their personality and be completely wrong because they're only behaving that way because the social norms dictate it, not because that's the sort of person they are. So we are an incredibly complicated um, species Mm. (laughs) Um, and it's very hard to see inside someone's head and understand who they really are. In fact, it takes us probably our whole lifetime to understand ourselves. So understanding another is is quite a feat. Um, quite you know. a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, quite a, a challenge. Quite a challenge, because I think yeah. some people are exceptionally good at, at putting a mask up, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. And we all have that little bit of facade, don't we? Mm. The, the person we want people to think that we are. Mm. And then we have the reality maybe behind the scenes. But then that reality is ever changing because depending on your time of life, depending on what you're experiencing at that point of time, it all affects your mood and your beliefs. And, you know, and there are some core elements to what makes somebody who they are, some consistent personality traits, consistent values, consistent motivations. And for your nearest and dearest, you'll know what they are. But as an outsider as a psychologist coming in there's no way of knowing that by one conversation or just watching someone in one situation it's 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 much deeper 
you imagine. I should imagine it's quite fascinating, really. Absolutely, yeah. Like mm. I say, it's a privilege, really, to uh, to be able to do the job that I do. Mm. Now, to move on to your uh, your book. Yes. Um, at what point did you decide that you were going to write a book? Was there a, p- a pivotal moment? There was a pivotal moment, and the pivotal moment was the um, the credit crunch of sort of 2010, 2011, that, that sort of era. Um, so at the time, I was working in partnership with a lady called Christine. We had our own consultancy business, and we'd been doing that for about five years and it had become very successful it was doing really really well and in fact before the credit crunch hit we had had a conversation where we said around about March time we're not going to get a break until Christmas and that wasn't just a holiday that was weekends we're going to have to work every day every hour and we were talking about maybe we need to get some help in you know this is going to be quite challenging and literally within three months, we sat together and rubbed all the work out of our diaries. Just everything went because people development is one of the first things that gets dropped when companies are in trouble. Mm. So I was faced with a period of time from August to December where I had nothing to do. And I felt myself getting quite down, sort of sort of teetering on a bit of depression, really. And I thought I need to do something active. I need to take control of this situation and of my mood. And what I decided to do was to write a story for my sisters as a Christmas present. So from September to December, I wrote this story and I just became obsessed with it. Every hour I had, I just sat in the dining room and just tapped away at this story. And to everyone else's annoyance in my life. I wouldn't go out. I wouldn't do anything else. I had to get the story out of my head. And it was quite a revelation. I'd always been a a voracious reader, but I suddenly realised I absolutely loved writing. And I just wanted to be in that world all the time. I mean, my poor sisters, they got this awful story for Christmas, which they were very kind about, but I'm sure it was terrible. (laughs) So not not the story. Not this story, no. Probably about five novel length stories ago so yes the the journey from that story to gone has been a, a decade worth of effort and um improvement i think it would so be you've written several others that, that you that you've started yes. and put to one side or just yeah there was a few that went to my sisters mm. as various gifts because they showed an interest. They were very encouraging. Um, so I wrote others and gave them to them as birthday presents. And, and that was my motivation. My deadline was these sort of events, I suppose, in their lives. Um, and, and then I tried to get these things published. I sent them to lots of agents and just depressingly got them all back with no comment at all on them, really. Um, and that went on for many a year. Um, but I just kept writing and kept working at it. Um, And then eventually I stopped writing because I had my daughter. And so that year after I had her was just completely taken over by her and looking after her. And then when I sort of came out of that year, I decided to try and get back into it because I I missed the process of writing. Um, And that was when I started looking around for a course to do because I thought clearly I enjoy the writing um, and I'm okay at it. I'd had a little assessment done, an editorial company you could send some chapters to and they would tell you whether you had what it took to be an author. And they sent me back an assessment. Um, I think it was maybe 
a year or two after I'd written that first story. And the chap said, your story idea is seven out of 10 and your writing is seven out of 10. But you need to be nine out of 10 in both to get published. That's still pretty good, I would have thought. Yeah, it was great. And it was one of those bits of feedback that I thought, oh, well, I'm not rubbish at this then. And my Mm. ideas aren't awful, but clearly there's work to be done. And that sort of stayed with me. So after I'd had Ella, I thought, well, maybe I need to see, well, where am I now? Have I managed to get to eight or am I still at seven? And so I signed up for a course with Penguin Random House, which was an online distance course, which was great. It was um, little videos with their in-house editors, with their authors, the likes of Lee Child, talking about how stories are generated, how writer's blocks overcome, how to build tension, how to create mystery, how to explore character. It it was a wonderful course. It went on for three or four months um, and it was a great experience. And at the end of that, you could submit your opening chapter that you'd produced as a result of this course for assessment by one of their editors inside Penguin. And so I did that, had to pay a little bit extra for that, but I thought, well, I want to know. Mm. Then I got that back about a week later, just covered in red ink, just (laughs) depressing. (laughs) Um, So I read through and the the editor had made some very valid points and I thought, okay, maybe I'm still a seven out of 10. And then um, a week or two after that, I got an email from the course director saying, the editor that looked at your chapter would like to call you. Was that okay? Um, And she did, a lovely lady called uh, Lizzie Goodsmith. She is my editor now. And she said, how much of this book have you written? Because I really enjoyed the opening chapter. And I said, well, you've read everything I've written. (laughs) And so she said, well, let me know when you finished. So I thought probably never going to hear from her again. Um, And then six months later, she sent me an email saying, have you finished it yet? And I had literally finished writing the last word of my draft manuscript the week before. So I said, yes, I've finished it, but I haven't even read it myself yet. So I need to do a lot more work on it. And she said, no, 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 just tidy it up and send it to me and I'll have a look. And um, she was fantastic. She came back and she said, I think it's got potential, but it does need work. And for the next two months, she worked with me and helped me refine it, sent me so many notes, lots of red (laughs) Um, and got it to a state where she could pitch it in-house and uh, and as a result just after Christmas um, they offered me a two-book deal so that was two years ago. Right and I think you said you've written the second one. The second one lost is finished yeah proofread mm-hmm. all done and that's sitting there waiting so that will come out next year um, and then they have just signed me up for another two. So now it's a four book deal. Oh, that's brilliant. So yeah, it's, it's fantastic. A dream come true, really. Mm. Fantastic. So do you, you find, where do you get the ideas from? Is this, this is based on your background or are these completely different ideas that seem to come from nowhere? Yeah, they come from lots of different places, I suppose. So with Gone, um, a lot of the inspiration for Gone came from, I read a book, um, which is by um, uh, an author called M.E. Thomas, um, which is a Secret Diary of a Sociopath. Now, oh. this um, person, I, I believe is a lady, but I'm not entirely sure because the information about the, the author is quite um, confidential. Um, but this author is a lawyer in America 
who is um, diagnosed to be sociopathic or psychopathic. So she has all of the traits of psychopathy, Mm. but she's not a serial killer and she hasn't committed any crimes or anything, but she lives life very differently to the rest of us. And she looks at other people very differently to the rest of us. And she entertains herself in ways that the rest of us would never do. And so she just fascinated me as a type of personality. Um, And I suppose Gone came from that idea of what must it be like to be living in our world as this quite different character and Mm. sort of hiding who you are and what you are in order to fit in with the masses Mm. and so that was the sort of seed of the idea really so there's a story that runs through gone which sort of explores that i suppose can you share more i'm i'm very um reluctant to say too much having read it because i don't want to give anything away that you don't want to share (laughs) but obviously for our listeners to give them some idea of the of the storyline yes so so gone is about four individuals who disappear so my investigators um augusta bloom and her partner marcus jameson he's ex-secret service they've been working together for a number of years solving crimes that the police don't have any interest in or, or there's no i suppose crime to solve as such so lots of disappearances you know missing persons type things um and they have, uh, Jameson has a friend whose mother has disappeared and is one of these four people who's disappeared. And they disappeared on their birthday after receiving a birthday card that says, happy first birthday, your gift is the game, dare to play. And their loved ones haven't seen them since. And uh, one of them has been missing a week or so. Another's been missing a couple of months and so Bloom and Jameson start to look into, well, who are these people and where have they gone and what are they doing? Has somebody taken them or have they genuinely gone off to play a game? And they're very different people. There's a, a mother of two. There's a student. There's a, a chap that works in Asda. Um, and then there's an ex-soldier. Um, and so these people have nothing in common as far as um, the police can tell or their families can tell but Augusta Bloom susses that they do have something in common and that thing that they have in common makes them very dangerous and so they need to find out where have they gone and what are they doing yes yes that's a good um, a good teaser I think (laughs) yes it's definitely um, I think it turns some of your ideas on on their heads when you read it definitely I did enjoy it and then the We'll not give any more away about that one. But then the next book, Lost. Yeah, so the next book, Lost, that is um, the story of a... It starts with an explosion at a military ball um, where a terrorist attack, essentially. And um, eight ambulances come to take the injured people away, but only seven arrive at hospital. Um, And there's one gentleman, um, Harry Peterson, who's gone missing. He's a captain in the Royal Navy. And his partner comes to Bloom for help, finding out where this ambulance went and where he's gone. And when he turns up a number of days later in a hospital quite far away from the original explosion, he has no recollection of the last five years of his life. And so they set out to find out, well, who is he? Where has he been for the last few days? And why has he lost his memory? And what has he forgotten? 
Mm. And so that is the, um, the the sort of, I suppose the mystery is how do you solve a mystery when the individual doesn't remember who they are or what they've done? <laughs> so. Yes, yes, that's, um, that would be very challenging, wouldn't it? If uh, And where to start from, I guess. Absolutely, but, uh, absolutely. Yes. And this is the thing with Augusta, what I wanted with uh, my investigator, I suppose, is I wanted someone who would look at a crime differently. So she's not looking at the evidence. Mm. She's looking at the individual. She's looking at, well, who are these people and what have they done and what motivates them and and what might they do in the future and what might they've done in the past. And it's all very psychological. And she's sort of speaking to their families and their friends and trying to piece together that very complicated picture of who this individual might be in order to solve the mystery of where have they gone or what have they done. And so I wanted an investigator that would look at a mystery in a very different way, in a very psychological way, yes, I suppose. Yes, hence... To a police from, officer. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm. And the throughout the the books then, because you've got um, the contract now for another two. Yes. Is it? Or do you always have the same investigators? Yes. So these are Dr. Bloom mysteries. So mm. she and Jameson will be um, the investigators in all the books um and um but the mysteries themselves will be different change, yes. um however there is a, a for those people who've read gone already you will know at, at the end that it, there are some questions unanswered so there mm. is a bigger story that's running through all the books um which is sort of part of that sort of mystery of these people that have disappeared and so that solving that whole thing of um, which who, continues on that from continues one book to on the next. from one book to the next yeah so you yeah. get you do get at the end of gone some idea of, yes. of what is happening and why but maybe you don't get to see the scale of it or the real motivation behind it and so those things will be revealed later on mm. in the series because I've always enjoyed reading books that you can read them standalone but it's quite nice to have a world where there's something sort of continuous going on there's some continuity to it so I think you feel pe- part of it. Yes, I think people invest really in getting to know the personalities mm. and carrying the same people through is, yes. is a really good uh, a good theme, yes. definitely, yeah. and will make us want to uh, follow you through with well, each that's one, the hope. <laughs> which is which is what you want, I guess. Yes. Yeah. No. So one book it will by this time this episode goes out. One book will uh, is actually gone yes. it's already published that's right that is now basically yeah. and then lost is coming out when um i believe it's august 2020 is the plan okay at the moment i mean these things in the world of publishing tend to move about a little bit yes but that's my understanding at the moment so they want them to come out on about a six month rolling basis oh six, in six months yes. so you've really just got six months between them for writing yes <laughs> no pressure there no then. pressure <laughs> well I have about a year mm. for the writing process but probably only about six months for me to write my first draft because the rest of that year is really for the editor and myself to hone it into something she mm. does her magic and, and turns it into, into something far something, yeah. better and superior <laughs> which is a very interesting process to experience I'm sure really. I'm sure and you're with a very good company aren't you yeah they're, they're fabulous and they and even though they're big and very successful the, the team I work with they they're very personable it feels quite small it, it feels like 
that I'm their only author, which is very clever of them because I know I'm not. Mm. <laughs> so um, yeah, they they they're a lovely um, organisation mm. to work with. It's been really nice. So it's quite a supportive yeah. environment then. Really. Yeah, they're mm. great. Yeah, they're really really good. Yeah. Now you enjoy the writing. Whereabouts do you write? Where do, do you oh, have where? one person, one place that you sit in the house? Or? No, because of my job, my other job, I suppose, as a psychologist, I'm constantly travelling around the country, constantly visiting organisations all over the place. I'm always on the train. So I would say that about 60% of my writing is done on trains. Oh. Um, and the rest is done on my laptop, sort of in my, at my kitchen table or in a local cafe, just... I'm quite fortunate that I find I can write wherever. Mm. One thing that I learned from the Random House, um, Penguin Random House course, which has really helped me, is to create um, a music playlist for my different characters. So I have a playlist for Augusta and a playlist for Jameson and a playlist for some of the other main characters in whatever book I'm writing. Um, And then I just put my earphones in. I play their music, which reminds me of them. And then I write their scene with that music. And that music not only gets me into their mindset, but it also drowns out all surrounding distractions. So that's, that's I'm not really distracted by the um, mm. the other passengers on a train having a chat about their day or something. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm very fortunate, I think, that I can write wherever my laptop is. Mm. That might be something worth sharing with some of your fans, actually, the playlist. Yeah, maybe one day. (laughs) Or they can guess what's on the playlist. (laughs) That sounds really good. And you were saying part of the course that you did actually addresses how to overcome writer's block. I'm sure um, budding authors, writers generally, that would be quite a helpful tip. Did you? Was there one thing in particular? There was one really clever technique. And I... I'm sorry, I don't remember the original author who had suggested it, um, but it's basically to set yourself a timer for 15 minutes and get a blank piece of paper and just start writing. Doesn't matter what you write. It can be total dross if you want it to be, but just set the timer for 15 minutes and write. And in 15 minutes, inspiration will usually strike you. So just start writing. So And and that appealed to me as a psychologist because I'm aware, I suppose, that writer's block probably is triggered by fear Mm. and the fact that I don't know what to do next or what I do next might might not be good enough or might not be as good as what I've written before. um, And so that, 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 and that can be quite stifling, can't it? So that whole idea of, well, just write anything, it doesn't matter. Mm. And that really works, I find for me, that I'll just start writing and, and literally within five minutes or so, my brain takes over and goes, actually, we could do this. And then, and, and do the characters take over? Do they... Oh, completely. <laughs> <laughs> they, they develop a storyline themselves. I've heard people saying sometimes that it goes in a direction you, as an author, you maybe didn't intend initially. Absolutely. And they're on the course as well, they, they describe two types of writers. So they said that there's an architect and the, the architect plots out the whole story in full, like they would design a building and all mm. of the different rooms and scenes are there. And once that's all plotted out, then they just write it and fill it all in and build it. Or there's the gardener, which is definitely what I am, which is you have a, a seed of an idea, you plant it and then you try and make it grow. But you don't know what the flower's going to look like <laughs> necessarily by the end. So I have always started my stories with some idea of where they're going to end but I don't think any of them have ever ended where I thought they were going to end 
Um, and I, I once read a book by Stephen King. He wrote a book on writing. So he's a suspense horror writer. And he said, that's how he writes. And he said, when it comes to writing a mystery or suspense, what better way to write it as an author um, that you don't know what's coming? Because if you don't know what's coming, how can your readers ever guess it? <laughs> I quite like that principle. Um, so yes, the characters take you by surprise. Sometimes they say and do things that make me close the laptop and think, oh my goodness, what what am I going to do now? Now you've done that. How do mm. I get you out of it? Um, so you just have to work a lot harder then. So they sort of take over. It's a very strange process. Yes, yes, definitely. Um I can't imagine because I know I I find writing quite difficult and various displacement activities when I've when I've studied in the past various activities become like cleaning the windows or doing the housework <laughs> yes. which normally wouldn't wouldn't be something that I'd be prioritizing but when I've got a deadline sometimes that's what that's what becomes more important I don't know the psychology behind that but <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> but uh yes I I can't imagine quite what it would be like to actually have the writing take over in that way mm. it, it's a it's a lovely experience actually and I suppose that's when I wrote that first story for my sisters as a present that was what had happened that I got so engrossed in that world and in those characters and I wanted to get that story out of my head mm. um, and on the paper um, because that I can have the idea for a scene. I, I often get my best ideas when I go for a run. So I might run for an hour. I might sort of think through a scene, but then that scene will take me a week, maybe two to write. So mm. you can think of things so much quicker than you can articulate them. Because when you articulate it, you have to set the scene, you have to describe what the individuals are doing, you have to get the dialogue right mm. and the rhythm right. Um, <clears throat> and so it takes quite a long time to get that idea out of your head. But if the idea is compelling enough, mm. then that's the motivation that keeps you in the story, I think. Like, I've got to get this out before I forget it. Yes. Um, so do you make notes about other ideas that come to you while you're writing one particular section? Will you put notes down if something else? Yeah, I usually in? have a um, just a, a blank sort of paper next to me mm. where I will sort of just put ideas and notes or I might flick back in the manuscript and just put a little note to insert something mm. in that I've just realised, oh, actually, if they're going to do this now, they needed to have done something else earlier. So I need yeah, to write so that in. to sort of... Yeah, you sort of do those mm. things. Um, but also when I get back from a run, I'll just take a piece of paper and just write the headlines mm. of what I've thought and then sort of go back and write those, use those as a sort of aid memoir, I suppose. Do you ever dream anything about the storyline or is that not? No, I don't. I don't mm. do that. No, I mean, I do sometimes if I'm sort of relaxing just sit and think about those characters and think about what they might do. So it's never in sleep, but it might be, So you know, we all work at different paces at different times of the day, don't we? And about three to four o'clock, that's my dead time. I, I can't really do anything intellectual or creative in that time. My brain just goes into some sort of weird <laughs> limbo. And then I have a, another hmm. spurt of energy later. So in that time, if if I'm not with my daughter, then... I will just sit, maybe read something and then just close my eyes and, and think about a scene. And that's quite helpful. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of different techniques, I suppose, 
yes. that you use. And with practice, that. I guess, you learn more about the way it works best for you. Yes, yes. yes. Now then, the next two books, have you outlines for, have, have you got ideas then? Yes, well, to get the next two book deal, I had to tell them what the next books would be. So oh, they won't right. just give me a book. They are oh. like, well, what would you do next? Okay. Um, so yes, the... Um, the, the third book is going to be uh, around a cult. So okay. um, that whole, because all of my stories, I suppose, are very much about sort of the psychology of human behavior. That That's the, mm. the sort of principle running through them. So different personality differences, how the memory works, and then actually how people, ordinary people can be manipulated into doing extraordinary things Mm -hmm. and when we think about cults they you know we often think about you know there's a lot of films out at the moment about the the sort of charles manson cult out in america and jonestown and these sort of waco like big disastrous religious sort of um movements but actually isis is a cult um, mm. you know, pyramid selling schemes are a cult. Um, I was just listening to um, a writer who's an ex-cult member talking about a cult can have just two members. So quite often domestic really? violence oh. shows all the signs of a cult in terms of the controlling, manipulative, mind-changing um, type mm. behaviour that goes on that makes one person subservient to another. So it's a really fascinating field. So I'm just researching that at the moment. Yes. So that I can write a compelling story. And do you even have to come up with the idea for the fourth one? Yes, I did. Yes. So what is the, what is that then? Give us a little tempter. Well, the, the, the idea for the fourth one is that there is um, outside of St Pancras Hotel in London, there's um, a Ferrari that's been parked there for a week or so, covered up. Um, the hotel management figure it's just been left by one of the high rollers these um mm. saudis that maybe come over and um rent a car or buy a car and then just leave it there because you know they've got that much money um but when they remove the cover um the driver is in the driving seat deceased um but there are signs that his um fingerprints have been permanently changed and they can't find any identifying characteristics he doesn't come up on any dna searches or anything so who is this guy and why is he there? And (laughs) yes, so so this is very much, and that will take Jameson and uh, Bloom and Jameson back into the police world a little bit because that is going to be a live police investigation that they are working Mm. alongside. Fascinating. Yes. Well, as I say, we're talking about your debut album, but um, not album, sorry, your debut book, that, yes. um, that novel that's just come out. But it sounds like there's a big future here. I hope so. <laughs> if I can just keep the ideas going, I suppose. How long can you keep the ideas going? That's the big question. So, Well, four. Four, that's not bad at all. The ideas for four. Because um, I often wonder, I mean, we talk to some people who have an idea for one book and then that's their book. Mm. Mm. And it doesn't go any further, but mm. it sounds like the you've you've got no shortage of ideas. Mm. So where where will um, anyone who wants to find your book um, be able to purchase it? I'm guessing on online Amazon. Yes, so it's on Amazon, um, Waterstones. It's mm. also going to be in Tesco and ASDA um, sold there, and so hopefully, you know, lots of places. If it does well, then even more bookshops yes um but yes so hopefully it'll be quite easy for people to find it right well we'll put um we'll put the details down in the show notes so that people can actually 
locate uh, locate you and have you a, a website yourself that you've got in not yet not I yet. think I probably should do that yes, <laughs> it's a task okay. for the new year yes <laughs> after the new year that's that's another task to add to the list <laughs> yes can I ask how old your daughter is she's six she's six so yes. not old enough really to know quite what you're doing at the moment she knows you write mm. I guess that's but, right yeah she yes. knows that mummy has a book um mm. and I have dedicated a book to her but in the dedication said no you're not old enough to read it yet no no so. not at all <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to scare absolutely (laughs) right well thank you very much Leona I've really enjoyed that conversation and um, I'm looking forward to reading the next one fantastic thank you Susan (laughs) so that's Susan signing out now from inside Yorkshire in next week's episode we talk to the team from Ginger Tree Holistic Skin and Lifestyle Clinic about how you can improve your health so tune in and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes 